Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writing excuses season 18 episode 49 this is writing excuses giving story a voice 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and we're not that smart i'm mary robinette i'm dong one i'm aaron and i'm howard and we're back to the deep dive. We hope you had an amazing NaNoWriMo that you won. If you even wrote one word, you're a winner in my eyes. But I hope Same. you had a great, great time. Um, and now we're going to come back. And I think this is actually a really great time to come back to the deep dive because we're going to be talking a little more about sort of craft on the page level. Before we left, we were talking bid world building things. And now we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty Starting with voice. And the reason I picked this topic is because I have been accused, in addition to being accused of writing horror, uh, <laughs> I have also been accused of writing voicey stories, which I actually do agree with. And that the stories that I write have sort of strong character voices driving them. And so I wanted to talk about what voice even means. I feel mm -hmm. like it's one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. And like people say it and everyone nods and then you go away and you're like, did I mean what they meant? So I'm kind of curious, when we talk about a voice on the page, what does that mean to you all? Like, what is that, what is the essence of that? So I have, uh, I, I likewise have strong feelings about voice <laughs> um, and the fact that we use it so indiscriminately, but I think that we use it to mean three different things. Um, and surprising no one, I'm going to use puppetry as an example. So I think that voice means uh, that there are three things. We're talking about the mechanical voice, the aesthetic voice, and the personal voice. So when you think about puppetry, mechanical, you say, what is the style of puppet? Mechanical style is, is it a marionette? Is it a hand puppet? What is it? With voice on the page, is it first person? Is it third person? You're writing for YA. Like, what are the mechanics of that voice? The aesthetic is what does it, what does the puppet look like? Does it look like a Muppet, look like a hand-carved puppet from Appalachia? And voice on the page is what does it sound like? What are the rhythms of the voice? What are the, you know, does it sound like Jane Austen? Does it sound like someone from the bayou? Does it sound transparent? Which basically just is a means fashionable because um, Jane Austen was writing transparent prose in her day and uh, the people writing transparent prose th these days are people who are... Just means mainstream. Mainstream, Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then you have the personal voice, which is the thing that you, the idiosyncrasies that you yourself bring to it. So when you hand the same puppet to two different puppeteers, it will look like a different character. Mm -hmm. Like when, um, with Kermit the Frog, when Jim Henson died and Steve Whitmire took over, people freaked out because Kermit just looked like a different character. And so what I think what happens with, when we're talking to writers is that, you know, that that all of the the personal experience that you've got, all of your taste, is going to affect the way you you you're writing. And what I see happen to a lot of early writers 
is that they fall in love with a, another writer and they try to match their aesthetic, not understanding that that aesthetic for that writer arises from their personal voice. And so they will actually overwrite their own personal voice in in trying to chase an aesthetic, which isn't to say that you can't like do a pastiche that isn't, you know, that also reflects your personal voice. But I think that if you're not approaching them consciously to some degree, or if you're not aware of the differences, that that it can be very easy to um, to 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 suppress what is important, why you yourself is the person who should be telling a story. Those those first two, the mechanical and the aesthetic, are things that uh, you can lean on craft mm-hmm. and you can adjust. The third one is extremely difficult to adjust because that's the one that is the most embedded in who we are. In the age of telegraph and all through, uh, on, on the way up through World War II, uh, telegraph operators had what was called fi- a fist, a recognizable, you could tell who the telegraph operator was just by the way they did the dots and dashes. Mm-hmm. And that was something that uh, code operators knew happened and they would try to change it so that they couldn't be identified and they very rarely succeeded. Um, and I bring this up just because you know, if someone tells you, oh, I can I, I, I can hear your voice and you're uncomfortable with this, um, get comfortable with it because your voice is important and changing it is hard. Yeah, I think Howard's kind of hitting on something really important there, um, which is, you know, people ask me all the time, what am I looking for in a project? What do I look for? When, when do I get excited about a submission, a query, whatever it is? And for me, the thing I always say is, I need to be able to read the thing that you're working on and see you in this. I mm-hmm. want to know who the writer is. I want to feel like you were the only person who could tell this story in this way, in this moment in time. And, you know, that's not true for everybody. That is a very personal thing that I get most excited about. But I think Howard is absolutely right that the first two things that Mary Robinette mm-hmm. was laying out are craft things that you can adjust, right? You can adjust sort of the mechanical thing to fit your audience, right? Are you writing YA? Are you writing a mystery? Are you writing a thriller? Those will require different kinds of beats and pacing and sentence structures. And also the the aesthetic voice is very much a personal thing, but you can shift that too. You can shift into certain dialects from story to story to story. You're often going to want to move that a little bit to match the setting, the the type of story, whatever it is. The last one is mm-hmm. the most interesting to me, and it's the most exciting to me because I think how right that you can't change it. So what you need to do is change everything around it to reveal it in ways that are exciting to the reader. You bringing out what is important to you, what your point of view is, what your perspective is into the fiction is a thing that almost like you're choosing how to reveal it and how to make it felt in the fiction. You're not trying to change who you are. You're trying to let me know who you are in a way that makes it legible to me and exciting to me and engaging to me, the reader. Funny thing is that I agree, but I disagree. And the the reason that I slightly disagree is for me, those last two things, uh, the aesthetic voice and the personal voice, are a bit of a slider. So when I write, I actually try very hard to get deep into the character voice and to have less of a personal voice in the story, if that makes any sense. There are things that are, I think of them as like tells in a certain way, 
which are like, I tend to like compound longer compound sentences. I love the word just, um, which I probably shouldn't love as much as I do, but that part of recognizing a story that's by me is in the subsuming of voice of my voice inside the voice of the character. But I think that's aesthetic voice, right? Yeah. In terms of the personal voice, I read all three of those stories and I say these are Aaron Roberts stories because they are interested in certain topics. They have a certain perspective. Yeah. The world is rendered in certain ways, right? The connection between Sour Milk Girls and uh, Snake Season, aesthetically, they could not be more different, right? Like they're coming from different settings, different voices, different styles, different moods. But I look at both these and like, oh, these are stories about people trying to survive in a world that is set against them. These are stories about, you know, empathizing with people who would be monstrous in other ways. That feels like something that you yourself are interested in. And I know that's not how we normally think about voice, but it's so subtle and so woven through the story that to me, I don't know where else to put it, right? It it could be themes in certain ways, but it's not that cold. It is more, it it really is just kind of this metaphor of the, the, the uh, telegraphers like fist tapping things out. It's almost it's an uncontrolled, unconscious thing in some ways that kind of can't be erased in in a way that's exciting. And you lean into it in ways that make me like this is this is dope. I love this. You know, Cir- circling back to the the you know I have been accused of you know being a horror writer or accused of writing things. <laughs> that I it, if it's good art and you're accusing me of something. I want to be found guilty. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 want, I want to be demonstrably guilty of this. And if my voice is something that is unique and has value, but people tell me they can hear it in multiple stories, I, I need to be okay with that. And, and this is the, the thing for me about the, the personal voice. You'll, you'll hear people say, you need to develop your voice or don't worry about your voice, it will develop on its own or like whatever. Um, and I, I think that, that you do need to develop your personal voice, but what that means is learning to trust your own taste. And, and that for me is the, the, that slider that you're talking about, Aaron, is that, that you, have, you have learned to trust your own personal taste. Mm-hmm. And, and so your personal voice then affects the aesthetics of everything that you choose. I will also say your personal voice does change over time. Absolutely. Right? It is not a, it's not a fixed point. As you read things, as you write things, as you live in the world, you change as a person. And that can be felt in your fiction, too, in ways that I think are exciting. That's why I love watching a career develop. I love reading through an author's career. Like, what are they... What were they writing when they were starting out? What were they writing later? You know, William Gibson is one of my favorite writers, but William Gibson writing Neuromancer versus William Gibson writing the Millennium Trilogy versus writing the, the Jackpot series, just three wildly different people. I can see the thread of that person growing over time, but it has been so thrilling to watch his thought and perspective develop over the decades. And, you know, when you get to see that on writer, I think that's tremendously exciting. Yeah. Agreed. Um, And (laughs) we are about to take a break. We come back. I want to dive a little bit into the aesthetic voice and actually how do you make stories sound different uh, and bring the character to life through voice. So we'll be right back. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. 
They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I have another short story. This is Exhalation by Ted Chang. Uh, I was just completely captivated by this short story. It is one of those that is all aliens all the time and where he really trusts the reader. He starts and he does not explain what's going on and you have to put the pieces together as he goes. And it's deeply compelling how it unfolds, the things that you learn about it, the many layers of world building that you get in this very, very tight space. Exhalation by Ted Chang. We are back, and we are still in our own voices, but what <laughs> make our voices different from each other? I'm curious, like, what makes one voice, not sort of the personal kind of the fist voice, but like the voice of one character sound different from another mechanically? There are so many different things that can do that. <laughs> and it really depends on what you're looking at. But there are four basic things. There's... Um, and this comes from me being an audiobook narrator. Mm -hmm. uh, so voice for me, like for you, comes really naturally. And I had to reverse engineer what I was doing. Um, when I was being trained to do voice work, you've got uh, pitch, placement, pacing, accent, and attitude. Um, pitch is how high or low. You cannot represent that on the page. Um, placement, where it resonates, again, can't really represent that on the page aside from reporting it. But accent, attitude, and pacing, you can. So pacing is all about the um, sentence structure and, and punctuation. Punctuation exists on the page, as it, for me as a narrator, um, to record the breaths and the pauses. Uh, that's, where, that's where, and that includes paragraph breaks, that includes italics. All of that is to describe the, the non-pronunciation parts of language. Then you've got, um, so you've got pacing, you've got uh, accent. Accent is about sentence structure and word choice, like coming from the South. When I'm talking to you all, I will say you all. When I'm talking to my parents, I'll say y'all. Um, and, and I'm often throwing in extra 
you know, just like weird flourishes to the language that it doesn't need. Like instead of I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to go on over to the grocery store. What the extra words are doing, I have no idea. Um, so you don't, and this is not to say that you need to like put phonetic representations uh, mm-hmm. on the page, um, but you do think about the sentence structure and word choice. And then attitude, you know, when you're talking to someone on the phone, you can tell whether or not they're smiling. You get the email that you're like, oh, they are really mad. And, and that changes the way we approach language. And so you can, you can think about those things and, and adjust them in a, a very mechanical way, or you can, you can just think about trying to replicate something that you're hearing. On one level further up from that, and uh, fair listener, you probably absent the the tonal differences between my voice and Mary Robinette's voice, Mary Robinette will lean into puppetry metaphor. Mm-hmm. I will lean into audio engineering and music metaphor because we have different backgrounds. That is an aspect of character voice mm-hmm. that you should you should delight in knowing a character's backstory and knowing that the way they were raised, the career that they followed, the parents they had, the culture they had, will affect the way they narrate their point of view to the reader. One thing, going back to to accents specifically, which is a really interesting one. Yeah. How do you make it work? And especially you may be thinking, I'm writing in a secondary world where accents are completely different than the way that we think about them. I did a lot of thinking about this for Wolfie Things, which has, uh, I would say, a flavor of Appalachian Mm -hmm. English to it. But I actually went and did a bunch of reading. I listened to recordings of folktales being told by folks in the mountains. And I tried to figure out, and I think this is something, um, Mary Robinette, you've said before, the difference between sort of the essence of what they were doing and then how they were expressing it. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to attempt to write in a full accent and actually like do exactly the way that they would do it. But as I was listening, I started saying, what are some commonalities Mm-hmm. that I'm hearing in the way, what are words that people are using, like mm-hmm. y'all or ain't? Uh, are sentences shorter or longer? Where are put- people putting the emphasis? And then said, well, can I take that and put it in my story? Mm-hmm. That way, it's not like I'm trying to, like, it can feel like mockery, I think, when you try to exactly copy someone's accent from a group that you don't belong to because there are rules going on beneath the surface that are hard to understand. Yeah. Dialect is super hard and dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. So with dialect, um, one of the things, yes, I'm 100% with you on this. Um, I did a thing with Of Noble Family where it was set in Antigua and I wanted to represent the dialect mm-hmm. and also knew that there was no possible way I could get it because it's, you know, I'm, I'm not from there. There's so many layers of that. So I wrote it with the rhythms that were natural to me. And then I hired an Antiguan author and editor to, to translate it into the dialect. And she would periodically be like, what is this? I'm like, uh, well, um, <laughs> and, and then I would have to translate my dialect back into, back mm-hmm. into standard English. It's so that it, was, it was this whole fascinating process because they're, you know, dialects are so widely varied. Um, and, and I think that one of the, one of the things that people will do is they, they often have a um, media representation of dialect in their mm. brain. So I think yes. what you're talking about is like going to listen to primary sources. So important. Yeah. 
I mean, Southern accents on TV, you'll get four different regions in the same town that apparently that supposedly no one's left in their whole life. And you're like, I don't know. This is this is uh, a lot. No, but. that is actually that is a thing that absolutely happens. It, it can, but it, yeah, no. Okay, I know um, what you're talking about. Y- there, you know what I mean, though. My, but, uh, sorry, my favorite thing that will happen to me as a narrator is that I will narrate a book set. I just narrated a House with Good Bones by Ursula Vernon, mm. set in North Carolina, which is where I grew up. And the number of reviews that say they should have gotten a real Southerner. Because <laughs> 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 they have a very specific idea of what a Southern accent is. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, this might be opening a little bit of a can of worms. So I don't want to go too deep on this. But, you know, one of the reasons just to, you know, make it very explicit that you need to be careful with dialect is that when you come from a lot of populations, sometimes it's Southern population, but, you know, for me, coming from a family of immigrant accent, language choice, all these things are tools that are used against us Mm -hmm. in very explicit ways, right? The pronunciation of my name, the way my parents talk, certain things are, you know, I was trained to speak in a very specific way to not have an accent and all of these things because my parents believed that it was very important for us to be able to fit into American society. I have complicated feelings about that at this point. But, you know, I understand where they were coming from because they felt it was very difficult for them to have a place in the world to get ahead in business and things like that, talking the way they did. So when you were thinking about wanting to represent um, a a community, a a particular people on a page, I think there's a natural instinct to be like, oh, well, they sound like that. So they should look like that on the page. But when you're not from that community, you, you, there are subtleties and nuances that you will stumble into by accident that will end up being very hurtful to people from that community. And so that's just things you need to be aware of when you're looking at dialects. So going back to the list of things that Mary Robinette had in terms of like those aspects of voice, there's a lot of things you can do with cadence and pacing and rhythm that will give a a gesture towards it. And it it can be a very subtle thing that will make things feel very different on Mm -hmm. the page without slipping into caricature, without being in that, you know, Mickey Rooney, Breakfast at Tiffany's space that you don't want to end up in. Yeah. We we definitely won't want to end up there. It's a bad place. (laughs) I see it more Uh, often than you would think. Oh, no, no. Um, (laughs) What you were saying about sort of how language changes and how Mm. accent changes made me think also that one of the things that I think is really fun to do with voice is that voice is not static. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? As you move through the world, you know, my favorite like way to think about this example is like your boss does something really annoying or your coworker and you're like, Oh my gosh, this this so-and-so like, and you're upset and you're talking about it with your coworker. And then you clear your throat and go, Per my last email, comma. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as you translate the way you're really thinking into the way that is appropriate, you know, or yes. supposedly appropriate for that situation. Code switching. Code yeah. switching. And that kind of code switching happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think once one thing that's interesting is when characters speak out loud versus what they are yeah. thinking. So the thought yeah. voice, like the voice of the perspective is usually consistent, but then you might have them speak one way in one conversation and a different way in another. And that shows like how familiar they are with that person, their comfort level. Mm -hmm. There's so much that you can do in that. That's a really fun thing in playing with voice. And you can do a lot with voice, especially if you're writing in close third. I think people think it's like, oh, if you're in first person all the time, you can do this. But if you're close third, you can switch your narration to mirror the internal dialect Mm -hmm. of that or, you know, voice of that character a little bit more closely. I mean, I wouldn't be extreme about it, but things just nudge it a little bit in a direction to be like, oh, this person's hanging out with their friends. 
they're code switching a little bit more to be like this. They're in a professional environment or they're at their job. You know, they're going to code switch a little bit in this direction, yeah. right? You can push voice in like, you have all these little meters and dials with voice that you can do so much with that can be really exciting and really enrich your text. And that to me is when I start to see, oh, this is an author who's very confident, who's in control of the text. And they're walking me through their story in, in a very like, deliberate way that I love to see. Yeah. One of, I'm going to give you a, a hack that you can use um, that I've used a, for a couple of different stories to get a different aesthetic voice into your, into your rhythm, which is to, to take someone who has a very strong aesthetic. Like I've done this with Austin. I've done this with Rudyard Kipling. Um, and I rekey in a text of the page before I start, uh, uh, sorry, a page of their text before I start writing my own thing to get that rhythm into my into my head and hands. I think there's also, this is why some people will have soundtracks that they write mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's a specific feel that you're going for, a specific rhythm, and you put on that song that like gets you into mm-hmm. the, the beat and the feel of it, I think that can be a great way to like remind yourself what the aesthetic is and what you're going for. Mm-hmm. I'll also say like voice is tricky. I've said this yeah, before. It's hard. It, for me, because I tend to really try to live very deeply in the voice, mm-hmm. it takes a long time. And for me, it's a lot of it's writing a paragraph reading it out loud and just thinking something yeah. about this does not quite sound right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me try again until it gets like the mood or the feel that I think I'm going for. But once for me, I've captured that in one paragraph, then I can go ahead and like replicate it in the next. Yeah. I can yeah. do it again. Um, and I actually think that as we're talking about these specific tools, it is a perfect time to go to the homework. So your homework assignment is that you're going to listen to someone's voice. Uh, this can be a person in a coffee shop, someone on a podcast, anywhere that you you are captured by someone's voice. And then write a scene from your current work in progress, rewrite it, trying to approximate the essence of that voice. This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Hey, writer. Have you sold a short story or finished your first novel? Let us know. We love hearing about how you've applied the stuff we've been talking about to craft your own success stories. Use the hashtag WXSuccess on social media or drop us a line at success at writingexcuses.com. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.